Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. At Keystone, we believe exceptional organizations don't just happen. They are built by focused leaders that recognize their authentic leadership superpowers. Join us for a serious dose of inspiration. Hey everyone, my new book has launched. It's called The Culture Climb. I wrote it to help leaders and organizations build actionable, approachable plans to address their business needs and their human needs. You can buy it now anywhere books are sold. For more information, visit www.theculturecline.com. Welcome everybody to the Superpower Success Podcast. I am excited to have you here today. Um, we have got an amazing guest that you, I have learned from and that you are going to learn a lot from. Trisha Montalvo Tim. She is okay. There's a whole list here. So listen, really listen well. First generation Latino board member. She is a venture investor. She is a speaker. She is an author. Um, we'll talk more about the author piece because her, her, her first book launched just here a couple of months ago in March. And so um, she's going to share a lot about her journey and she's got a very unique journey that is full of a lot of success and a lot of turns, right? Like all the rest of us, yes. a lot of left turns and right turns. And so we're excited to have you here, Trisha. Oh, thank you, Jamie. I'm so excited to be here and share my story with you. Well, that's where we'd like to start, right? We don't do bios. We want you to tell us your journey because I think it really helps us relate to all of the lefts and rights, right? And everything that kind of yeah. happens in our journey to success. So what has that journey looked like for you? Well, like you said, lots of twists and turns, both professionally and personally. So let me start with professionally, just to give context of kind of where I've been and what I've done. And then I'd like to spend a couple of minutes uh, telling you a little bit about my backstory, because I think that's important as well. Um, so professionally, I've been working in Silicon Valley over 25 years. I'm a corporate lawyer. Um, worked with high-tech companies, big and small, from startups to um, late-stage private companies to large global multinational companies. I've worked um, in a law firm. I've worked in-house. Um, and I also spent a period of time as uh, running my own business. I started my own legal consulting business when my kids were little um, in, in order to get some flexibility uh, as a working mom and, and stay still tied to my um, to my profession. So a lot of twists and turns and the professional career. Uh, my last role was as general counsel of a company called Looker. Uh, we were a data analytics company and we sold to Google in 2020 in Google's, one of Google's largest um, acquisitions at 2.6 billion. So it was a really big phenomenal uh, exit there. Uh, so currently since then I've pivoted and now serve on a corporate board. I'm a board member of a company called Falsify. I serve on a number of nonprofits. Uh, I'm doing some angel investing and venture investing and female entrepreneurs. Um, and I wrote this book, uh, Embrace the Power of You, which um, really tells a lot about my journey as a first-generation Latina in the, in the workplace. So that was a, a mouthful of my <laughs> professional journey, <laughs> which we can dig in uh, in a little bit. So my backstory about like who I am as Trisha, um, I was born to uh, two immigrants. My mother is from El Salvador. My father's from Ecuador. Uh, was born in Los Angeles, and Spanish was my first language. And I quickly, my parents wanted, uh, like many immigrants to this country, wanted a better life for us. So they um, 
moved us out of Los Angeles, the city, into the suburbs. Uh, and at about five or six years old, I suddenly found myself as the um, only Latina in a predominantly white community in school. Um, and out of love uh, for me and hoping for my success, uh, they asked me to down, you know, they asked me, they said, look, you'll, be, you'll have a better life if people don't know where you're from. Um, they were discriminated against. They wanted to spare me from that pain. And so at an early age, I was told to assimilate, blend in, don't rock the boat, work hard, head down. Um, and so that framed the way I showed up in the world. Uh, and I really downplayed um, my ethnicity and where I came from and my culture uh, for probably, you know, almost two decades. Um, and that with that, and we can talk about later, is um there came a lot of, um, it was an emotional toll and physically exhausting to do this, um, but also a lot of shame, uh, a lot of shame that came from it. And so my book is a lot about that journey of why do we hide? Um, what is the toll of hiding? And coming on the other side of that journey, the power of being your authentic self. Oh my gosh, this is, I'm so excited to talk, <laughs> to talk to you. And, you know, I think about that immigrant story. You hear a lot of these types of stories, right? I mean, yeah. even things like the work ethic of immigrants, because yeah. they have to work harder, right? Yeah. To be, to be successful. And, and some of these rags to riches, you know, stories that you hear, but it's, it's because they're trying to overcome, right? Something. And instead of just being able to be who they are, right? And yeah. still be able to be successful. Yeah in that yeah no exactly and and you know I think one of the things I talk about and one of my strengths is my work ethic I mean I saw my parents work multiple jobs and there was you know there was never time to rest I had I've had to learn to play and rest yeah. because I never saw it um so it's yeah it's very interesting so I want to start with right that through all of this, and, and we look at leadership moments is that leadership moment could have come in middle school, right? Or it could have come in, you know, your latest corporate role. But as you look back over your story, right, in your journey, are there, is there a moment or moments that you feel like really shaped who you are as a leader, right? Those things you'll never forget where you were at, right? What happened? What are those moments for you? There are several, but, you know, I had to do a lot of reflecting as I wrote the book. And I will say there's a, there's a moment um, that was actually probably one of the most challenging moments of my life um, that I'll call the moment that shaped the leader I am because it's how I never want to lead. <laughs> uh, and uh, when I was at one of my um, in-house counsel positions, I was the number two legal person at the company and I was giving birth to my first daughter. I was pregnant and the culture of the company it was an all-male leadership team. There were no women in leadership. At the time, this was almost 20 years ago, there were no women in ARGs. There was no talk about inclusion. There were no women's organizations. So I had no role model or playbook of like, how am I going to show up as a working mom? The culture in, the, and, um, in that workplace was very toxic. Uh, and it was, a, it was very hard to show up as a working mom. And I remember when I, I was scared to death to tell my manager that I was pregnant. So I, I hid my pregnancy as long as I could until you, you can't really. And I remember when I told him that I was pregnant and his response to me was, how could you do this to me? I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. And in that moment, my heart sank. And instead of 
thinking about, well, that is a horrible thing you just said to me. This actually created trauma for me. It, I came to, how could I disappoint him? I, I, how could I do this? How could I let my team down? What are they going to do? Like, because I was the one kind of holding the team together. Right. Um, and so, um, so it was really a horrible situation. So then when I came back after my three months, I really felt like I had to prove that I didn't have a baby at home. So because I didn't, there were no women. There was, you know, so I didn't, I wanted to be back in the club. I wanted to not be seen as different. I didn't want to jeopardize my um, ability to get promoted, to get um, opportunities. I wanted to be invited into the room. And so then I hid my, my fact that I was a working mom. And when I returned, my daughter didn't take the bottle. She would only nurse. We, we, she would just refuse to take the bottle. So for several months, um, I had to figure out how I'm going to nurse this baby, be in a place where there was no nursing rooms, there was, there was no women, there was nobody to support me, um, and I didn't want to be penalized. So I would go down to the parking garage secretly. My husband would bring the babe, my baby, and I would nurse her in the garage. And I did this for weeks and months. And I mean, I did all of this in order to just survive. I was a sole breadwinner. And I, you know, again, like the work ethic. Uh, And so that period of time for me, and, you know, there were many other stories like that, was incredibly difficult, incredibly traumatic, honestly. Um, So fast forward 15 years later, as I was um, stepping into the general counsel role at Looker, I saw a young woman who was about to have her first baby and I said, no way will she have the same experience I did. We must do better for our working moms. And that's what actually inspired me to create the DEI program at Looker um, because I wanted to create a space for her so she can talk to other working moms and those of us that have been gone through it and what are the tips and, you know, how do you get through those sleepless nights and, you know, all of the different things, childcare and all of the things that we struggle with as working moms. Um, and that just then, then I was like, well, I need to create more spaces of belonging for other people who are struggling with, you know, wanting to fit in. And that sort of started my journey of, of creating spaces of belonging. I love this. And again, you didn't set out to do that. You discovered it. And mm-hmm. and the thing I keep thinking about, and it's it's part of my first book, it, there's a whole kind of chapter on what is this preparing me for? So when you're in the middle of the really tough thing, right, the nursing in a parking garage, it's all about just believing you're going through this because there's something yeah. that you're supposed to do with yeah. it. And what you did yeah. with it is you made sure other people, right. Didn't have that situation. And so I think it's so hard as leaders when we're in those moments and it's like, why is this happening to me versus what is this preparing me for? And it clearly prepared you for another level of success that you had to discover. I love that, Jamie. And I think you're so hundred percent right. And I think every young person needs to hear that message because I think when you're in it, like, I didn't know that when I was in it. It just sucked, right? It was just horrible. And how am I going to get through it? But now, you know, with years of experience and, and, and knowledge, when I do hit moments of struggle, I, without n- naming it, you just named it. What is this preparing me for? I, I do go to that. I'm like, there, there's a reason this is happening. I don't know what it is yet. And actually being okay with the uncertainty um, is really freeing. 
Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a mindset thing, right? At that point, yeah. if you can get through it if you've got some faith that it's you yeah. figured it out before, right? What's yeah, exactly out this time? So yeah, I, I want to switch to to really talking about the concept of leadership because we talk about leadership as as you realize it, it's not about do you have direct reports? What is your yeah. title and hierarchy in an organization? I look at you as a leader because of the book you're writing in a, in our community, right? In a, in a voice that is leading others, right? To think differently. Mm -hmm. How do you define leadership and how would you describe the leader you are today? Yeah, I think leaders, you know, I think leaders are those that have a vision, have a something that they are trying to do in the world, make an impact, change something. Uh, and I think that effective leaders are those um, that lead with vulnerability and empathy, um, because I think that no matter the change or impact you're trying to make in the world, you're going to need a, a culture and a um, environment where people are going to be excited to do the work that they're doing. They want to have the human connection. They want to feel valued and respected. And I think in this day and age in particular, um, I think if you don't create that culture, uh, you're going to have a hard time creating the uh, environment in order to succeed on your vision. Uh, and so, I, you know, and I think not only the people in the culture that you're creating, but the customers and clients that you're serving. You know, I think if you're not seeing what they need from their lens, you're not going to be effective in, in providing your solution. So I really believe that that um, vulnerability and that empathy and listening um, is such an important quality of leadership. Yeah. What are your superpowers as a leader? Well, one is certainly resilience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, you know, you could I think, write the uh, book on resilience. <laughs> yeah, I actually do have a section in the book called resilience is a superpower. And I think that you know, and I didn't actually know that it is a superpower. Not everyone is resilient, Jamie. I didn't, you know, nope. I didn't know that. It was something that um, I realized over time where things all of a sudden were hard for somebody who always had things that came easily their way. Um, things never came easily my way as a woman in, the, you know, in, in a male-dominated space, as a woman of color, as a Latina, as, you know, first gen, um, as, you know, my immigrant parents, like, Everything has had to, I've had to overcome over and over again. Um, I've been pushed down over and over again. So I think that muscle of resilience is unique. Um, and I think another superpower I would say is really um, where I come from. Like the, you know, being a Latina brings a unique voice to a space that doesn't have it. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I, one of the things I'm really trying to do is um, inspire other Latinas to come into ranks of leadership and to move up because that voice is invisible right now. And so I'm trying to um, bring that voice into the conversation. I love every part of that. And you're doing a great job of it so far. So keep going, right? Okay. Yeah. What when you look at the work you're trying to do, right? The changes you're trying to impart, right? It, it, what's the biggest challenge that you see ahead of you as as a leader, right? And someone who's mm -hmm. trying to drive these different conversations. You know, I think you know we're we're living in a really difficult environment right now. We're becoming more and more polarized. Mm -hmm. You know, the the 
internet and the isolation of the last couple of years have driven us apart. We're missing human connection. And so, you know, as I'm going around talking to people, what's been really nice is creating spaces of people talking to each other and having that human connection. And what I'm trying to do with the book um, is, is, you know, I've told a lot about my story today and I do a lot of storytelling because I think we learn from each other. We create empathy by learning about each other's lives. Um, but that conversation is hard sometimes because we're coming from it from different lenses that and stories that we might have created um, and they're uncomfortable. You know, the whole space around DEI can be an uncomfortable conversation when we talk about racism, sexism, homophobia, all the isms. Um, not everyone is comfortable in those conversations. And so how do I move the needle on that? And there are a lot of different ways that people approach it. Um, I try to approach it one conversation at a time. Uh, and, you know, that it's, it's a slow way uh, to, to, you know, to move the needle. But um, I think it's, it's just a hard, it's a hard conversation. So I think that's a big challenge right now. I was just having this conversation with a, a leader where, and someone that I respect very much, who's also making an impact, um, talks about calling people into this conversation versus calling them out. And yes. it, right, it, it is what you're doing. It's the slow, methodical, not in your face, aggressive. Yeah. That's not going to get us where we need to go. By making yeah. people feel bad about, yeah. you know, their beliefs that they didn't even realize they had. And it, no. that's not going to solve anything. So when we yeah. come at this in a empathetic, like, yeah. but also challenging, like you need yeah. to challenge beliefs, right? You've carried your entire yeah. life that were given to you. And I'm going to mm-hmm. help you look at those, right? Maybe through another lens. Yeah. It's very much more approachable than, you know, you're wrong, we're right, right? Yeah, we're yeah, yeah. Approach. Right, yeah. I know exactly. I mean, it, because once people feel defensive, they stop listening. Correct. Um, and so, so you have to, like what you just said, which is brilliant, which is like lean into the conversation uh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's any tough conversation as a leader, yeah. right? is you have to be willing to be challenging, but also be empathetic at the same time, right? And and, and yeah. read where people are at because you want forward motion. And the mm-hmm. moment you, you know, you push something too hard or you, for some people, you bring up past trauma, yes. the audience will show, right? They're no longer yes. really engaged in the conversation anymore. And yes. I think it's a, it's a skill a lot of leaders don't have, unfortunately, because it's very hard to, to build. It is very hard. It is very hard. And, and being really genuinely honest with people is hard. Uh, you know, you want to be liked, you don't want to make people uncomfortable, you know, you, you do. So you're trying to create this peaceful place, but some, you know, I will say, and when all the different organizations that I worked at, um, the ones that, the one that did the best, um, was excellent, um, was a, was a culture that created psychological safety to have different opinions and debate them. And when you create a culture where people are not afraid to give their opinions, debate them, you know, be heard, listen, um, that creates a better result. Um, not a culture where there's this sort of toxic positivity or, yeah, everyone's happy. Like, we're going to follow the, you know, what everyone says. You know, that, it never brings forth the best results. And I think that's counterintuitive for a lot of people yeah. is that we believe that 
the easy positive stuff where we ignore, right? Some of the hard yeah. conversations is where you build trust. It's not. Trust is yeah. actually built when you and I can disagree on something and uh-huh. still respect each other and work well yeah. together, right? But not believe that we have to think yeah. the exact same way. And that yeah. is what true inclusivity and belonging is showing up as who mm-hmm. you are and feeling like you belong in that place. Right. Exactly. I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. For those of us who are trying to grow, right. And understand it's like, yeah. it's is pretty simple. This is like human to human stuff, right? This yeah. isn't, you don't need a PhD in it. Um, I, there's a lot of leaders that are going to be listening because we have this conversation that say, you know, I'm curious about this, this space, right? I want to get better as a leader. When I know better, I need to do better, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. what do you do to ensure your growth? Like what, what is your growth approach to make sure you're kind of, right, bringing kind of the new ideas and different perspectives in? Yeah, you know, I have a growth mindset. I am a, like, a lifetime um like learner, you know, my, my, my uh, family thinks I'm crazy. Cause sometimes I'll say, should I go get, you know, my MBA or something? Like, I, I like, I would love to go back to school at 53 yeah. years old. You know, I love learning. And I think that um, I have just curiosity. I like, I like reading. I like um, learning from people. I, I mean, I think there's just so much to learn and in each conversation and each article, um, I, I learned something more. And so I think that just having a curiosity, knowing there's more to grow, um, I think we'll continue to grow that way. I love that. We talk about in our leadership development about, you know, if you think about you look at the, you look at the world through a lens, like a camera lens. And our job is to constantly be widening the aperture of that lens. Yeah. Right. It it can't just stay that same lens because the world around us is changing. And I think that's what you're Mm -hmm. experiencing is there's some leaders who haven't really decided to change and learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stuck right now because they're they're trying to figure out how to operate in this new world that we're in. And a perfect example of just learning and thinking, you know, differently is, I, you know, my daughters now um, are 20 and 17. Man, am I learning a lot from them. I mean, they are teaching me how they're showing up in the world and what they care about. And, and I think as leaders who, you know, who are more seasoned like me, we have to embrace this young generation and how are they going to succeed and how are we going to adapt to this new hybrid environment and to this new way of learning? I mean, they learn so differently and operate so differently than we did. So we got to figure that out. And if we're not curious and if we're saying, well, we did it this way, this is how it's supposed to be done. I think we're missing out. Right. Oh, we could do a whole nother podcast on this. I have, four, <laughs> yeah. I have four Gen Zers, right? And, and yeah. if you ask me what inspires me the most, it's them sometimes, like yeah. what they're doing and the way they think. And they're much more globally accepting, yeah. right? They just, they don't have yeah. the beliefs that some of us have. And I love mm-hmm. that, right? Their mm-hmm. voice isn't strong enough yet. It's getting there. Mm-hmm. But I do believe organizations are going to have to figure out how to learn from this next generation because they're going to be the ones that have yeah. a higher emotional intelligence approach to how we solve yes. problems. Yes. And they are unafraid to say it. I think they're going to push hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got to be ready for it. So yeah, we do. <laughs> so true. So given everything that we've talked about here today, before we get to kind of the bonus round of questions, it, if a leader is listening and going, oh, God, this is right. It's I want to do this. It's overwhelming. What do I like? How do I start to be better? 
Um, what's one thing that you would leave with them? Like, just do this or think about this. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll talk to two different types of leaders because I think um, what I've realized is um, there are those that those of us that um, do have a sense of belonging in the room and those of us that don't. Um, for those that do have a sense of belonging, uh, you know, you grew up in a stable environment, you were given agency, you were rewarded for taking risks. That is such um, a gift. And to those of you that are confident in the room, you know, take some time to take notice who is in the room, take notice who is not speaking, um, because you as a leader can create those spaces of belonging by um, little things like um, encouraging a contrarian thought when a, there's a group discussion and everything's going one direction encourage the entire group to give a different thought because that allows the person that might have a different thought um, not to be singled out, right? The, the whole entire group is being challenged. So what are the little things that you can do to create an environment that feels safe for someone who might be a And for those that are struggling to belong in the room, and I was one of them for many decades, um, what I want to say to you is, um, there's a reason you're in the room. You are completely um, valued and um, worthy to be in that room. And, you know, work on that journey of understanding, you know, the reasons. There are reasons why you may not feel that um, you don't belong in the room, whether it's culture, media, uh, colleagues. There are things that, and you put on armor to not bring your authentic self to the workplace. and what we need more in the world now is those authentic visions, those authentic um, stories, those authentic um, ideas, mm-hmm. uh, because we are a multicultural, multi-generational society. And if we don't have those voices in the room, we are not creating the products and services that need to um, benefit all of us. Beautiful, beautiful way to end that part of the conversation. So you're not done yet though. Um, and then okay. we'll make sure that you give some information at the end on where they can get the book and, and all of that. But I have a couple of questions that just more fun questions that I that okay. I want you to, to answer. So if you could have coffee with any historical figure dead or alive, who would you want to have coffee with and why? I would say um, probably Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, I just, you know, maybe because I'm a lawyer, but, you know, her journey, I would just love to hear about her journey. You know, I've, I've, I've read about it and heard about it, but just being, you know, she was such a badass and to have um, really been a trailblazer for women and women's rights uh, is phenomenal. And I would just love to hear, hear just look at to know her and see what yeah. she's all about. Yeah. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would you want to put on the billboard and why? You're enough. I think there are so many people that don't believe that they are enough for a number of different reasons. Um, And they struggle with their self-worth and um, holds them back from meeting their potential. And I think if we all truly believed we are enough, um, I can imagine the, the, the amazing things we could do in this world. I love that. And the last one, what does it mean to be ridiculously human to you? Oh, just embracing all our imperfections. 
I mean, we are, you know, we make mistakes all the time. And as you know, I am a for sure, you know, self-proclaimed perfectionist. It's it's been such a hard thing for me to embrace mistakes and um, risks. And, you know, and I think when we can just embrace imperfection, laugh at it, learn from it, grow from it. um, It is so we are all human. We're going to mess up. And if we can just say, yeah, it's funny. My husband, when I first met him, because I was a perfectionist, when I first met him, we were young, he would screw something up and he literally would raise his hand and be like, I'm my bad. I was like, I just, the, the fact that he just would say my bad, you know, I was like, I would never, first of all, acknowledge I made a mistake and then like acknowledge it was like my bad. <laughs> so now I just, we just laugh as a family, like, Oh, my bad. I, I screwed that up. Um, and I think that, um, that really is spring. I love it. One of my favorite t-shirts I have that says perfectly imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> How we all are, whether you think you are or not, we all are imperfect in yeah. some ways. Yeah. How can people get more information on you, whether it's to have you speak, right? Your book, mm-hmm. like what's the best way? Yes. Yeah, so you can reach me at my website, uh, trishatim.com, T-R-I-C-I-A-T-I-M-M.com. Um, there's lots of information there about me and the book and how to contact me for speaking. You can join my newsletter there. Um, I'm, um, I'm sending a lot of information there. And my book is available everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your indie bookstores, uh, and audio, of course, uh, is available as well. So we'll make sure, and the book is Embrace the Power of You, just for those people who are listening. Um, we'll make sure and get all of that in the podcast notes so people can just click Thank on that you. and find the link to your site. Thank you for being here. Thank you for mm. showing up right here because you can be here and not show up right in, in the yeah. vulnerable way. And it's not always easy to share stories and share things that are uncomfortable, right? Or different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly why we do this podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thanks to the listeners for continuing to engage. Reach out to Trisha if you're curious. Yeah something that she can do to help because that's why we bring these leaders on is to shift your perspective, to open up, you know, the aperture of your lens and make you think differently. So we appreciate you guys engaging and being here as well. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and hit that subscribe button. So you get the latest episodes as soon as we release them. And remember to keep maximizing your unique leadership superpowers. It truly is the key to building success, both in your career and in life.